Welcome to the Sunset Community Church podcast. You're listening to sermon audio from our Sunday morning services. For more information about Sunset Community Church, visit us online at sunsetcommunity.church. I was thinking this week, my sister sent me actually last night a text, um, in a text, a picture of me and her and um, one of my brothers, I have, I have uh, three brothers, um, sitting in front of a Christmas tree when we were probably, I was probably four or five years old. And, uh, and it got me thinking about what is uh, some memories of Christmas that really stick out to me. And oftentimes when we're kids, we think of the gifts that we got um, during Christmas. So what about you? What was one of like, your favorite gifts that you got during Christmas? Anybody want to shout it out? This will age us all. <laughs> but what was a favorite gift? A bicycle, okay. Ballerina Barbie, okay. Hot Wheels, all right. Easy Bake Oven, all right. What was that? American Girl Doll. A new outfit, yeah, new clothes. Hey, that was a that was a good gift. A what doll? What's a Tony doll? Oh, okay. There we go. A doll those hair you could perm. That's great. So for me, uh, the one that stuck out was, I think it was 1984. And I was a huge fan of G.I. Joe's. And so I got a, let me see if I can pull this up here. Of course, it's not working. We've had technology issues this morning. So there we go. There we go. I got a G.I. Joe big wheel. Entirely made out of plastic. Um, had fake guns on the front and a radar, as you can see. And I still have memories of just shredding that thing down neighborhood hills uh, until the wheels, because they're made out of plastic, you know, eventually fell apart. So one of my all-time favorite gifts. You know, the, the reason I was thinking about this, too, in, in terms of this morning, is we, uh, as, a, as kind of a theme this Christmas season, we've been focusing on the theme of peace. What does peace mean? What does it mean to, to have it in our lives? And one of the things we, I think you know about things like peace or patience or joy or love is it's more than a feeling. And when you ask God for it, he gives you opportunities to practice it, right? To enter into it. And so one of our key verses in this series has been the description of Jesus from the prophet Isaiah. And he says in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, he says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So we've been focusing on this idea of Jesus as the Prince of Peace in these last couple of weeks. But as this verse starts, it says, For to us a child is born. To us, a son is given. And so how many of us, if we read this verse, have we actually seen Jesus as the prophet Isaiah is presenting him as a gift? That Jesus himself is a gift to the world. And so this morning, in the third week of our series, um, we're going to talk about that, a gift to give, a gift to give as it relates to peace. So we know that as Jesus was given to the world, 
Jesus, we talked about this last week, he gives us his righteousness. What is righteousness? It is goodness. It is a state of completeness and wholeness. He gives us his righteousness. And so because of that righteousness, we get peace. He gives us his righteousness so that we can have the relationship with God. We say, God, what do you think of me? Are we good? And God says, very good. So because of this righteousness, we get peace. And then as believers, we are to live out Jesus' righteousness. So he gives it to us and then we are to live that out. And so then we become peacemakers. Matthew 5, verse 9 says this, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. So do so you see how this works? We get peace because we have Jesus' righteousness. As we live out that righteousness, we then give peace. We promote peace in the places where we live, in the families that we inhabit. And honestly, we could probably stop right there. This is the gift that Jesus gives us. Through righteousness, we get peace. Now, notice what Jesus doesn't say. He doesn't say, blessed are those who throw up the peace sign, <laughs> for they will be called children. Blessed, blessed are those who, who make nice comments, peaceful comments on their social media. Or, or blessed are those who, who withdraw from society like a hermit. They will be called peacemakers. No, it's peace what? Maker. Peacemaker. It, it actually takes some work to promote peace. Jesus didn't come around like some sort of hippie, uh, kind of sprinkling dust around and saying, everybody feel the peace. Everybody feel it. <laughs> In fact, earlier this year, we walked through the Gospel of Mark. A lot of people didn't feel it. They didn't even want him in their space. And Jesus disrupted a lot of things. But he did that, what? To bring about his righteousness so that peace could be accomplished. James 3 says this. It says, peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Now, how many farmers in the room? All right, we read this and we disassociate from it. But what does this imply? That it takes some work. That we have to, we have to be about peace to see the righteousness of God at work. But it's true. This is a promise that God's word says. So as we think of peace... I want us to, to bring it into ourselves and make this personal today. If we are to be, if we are to experience peace because of what Jesus done, and we are to, to be makers or to be workers of peace, then we need to ask, how do we do that? How do we give the gift of peace that has come to us through Jesus? Peace doesn't just happen. And peace uh, is desired because there's a, a lot of um, things in our culture that keep people from experiencing peace. So how do we, we might ask, how do we undo the things that keep people from experiencing peace? We, we could even ask this question, what's the opposite of peace? What's the opposite of peace? Now, if you maybe immediately thought war is the opposite of peace. Maybe it's because you read Leo Tolstoy's famous book, War and Peace, or you were forced to read it in some kind of class that you took. 
If you think war is the opposite of peace, it could also mean because you uh, grew up or experienced the 1960s at the height of the peace movement. But no matter the reason, it's understandable that most of us think of war as being the opposite of peace because war is horrific and it disrupts the shalom of God. I was looking at some statistics this week. Did you know that World War I lasted four years? And the casualties of World War I between military and civilians are estimated to be 40 million people. 40 million people lost. It was labeled as the war to end all wars. But we know that it wasn't, was it? Not too much longer after that, many of the same people that fought in World War I would again see World War II. World War II lasted six years, and the total casualties were estimated at over 80 million, twice a World War I. And we know the deadliest war, World War II, the deadliest war in human history would largely come to an end because of a new technology, the nuclear bomb, that would be dropped in two places in the country of Japan effectively ending the deadliest war in history with a massacre of civilians. So we would think, right, now peace, peace will finally come because these wars are done. There has not been a world war since then. Peace will finally come, but it didn't, did it? Now what happens with war would go underground. And a new term would be coined called the Cold War. The Cold War. By the 1960s, the Cold War had been going on for some time, and the U.S. was now at war again in Vietnam. And for years, uh, these younger generation of folks were now coming of age. They had been parented by the World War II generation. They had been raised on images of the Vietnam War, and now many of them were being sent against their will to fight in it. And this generation, some of you are part of this generation, they were done. They wanted peace, not war. And so what did they do to try to accomplish this peace? They rose up in protest. And they, they, they tried to, to, to fight against it. Many of these, ironically enough, many of these peaceful protests by this younger generation would turn violent. Because they didn't know how to accomplish peace. They knew they wanted something to end But what would take its place? To what end? What would change? What would bring actual lasting peace? It was during this time that the famous peace sign was developed. Maybe some of you are familiar with this, the modern peace sign. It was designed by Gerald Holtham for the British Campaign for Nuclear Disarmament back in 1958. Uh, I've always been curious how this sign came to being. So I was reading about it this last week. And it's actually taken from what's called uh, semaphore signals. Those of you who are the Navy may know what semaphore signals are. They're flags that are positioned in different ways to indicate letters. So, uh, and I'm probably doing this backwards, but a flag up and a flag down would be the letter N, and two flags down would be the letter D, or it could be the opposite. I mean, I don't remember the exact difference. So essentially what he was combining in this one signal was the letters N, D, for nuclear disarmament. So the Cold War ends. Anybody remember when the Cold War ended? 
1991. But in many ways, it didn't end at all. The war to end all wars didn't end wars. The, the atrocities of World War II, the nuclear bomb, protests for peace, the Cold War ending with agreements, but still never really ending at all. Hostilities just adapted. So what we know about true peace is it is not simply the absence of something like war. No, real peace, true peace comes when there is a restoration of the things that war takes. On a personal level, we know this to be true in our own lives. Uh, uh, we might not use the word war, <laughs> but we might use the word turmoil. Turmoil indicates that we are in a place where things aren't as they should be. You've experienced this when you don't have the ability in your life to rest. Because why? Because turmoil. Your life is full of confusion or uncertainty or conflict. There's outer turmoil, right? Those are, that's the, the conflict we have with family members or, or in the workplace. We're just not getting along with those people, and so it causes us an inability, inability to, to rest. You maybe feel this even heightened during the holidays. Oh, we're all going to get together. But me and you know, Uncle Joey, we've got this thing that we still haven't resolved all these years, right? So outer turmoil affects all of us. In, in, in this case, true peace can't come just because we aren't around those people. Like we think, oh, if I just don't see those people, then I'll have peace. But that's not true, is it? Because they're still a part of your life even if you try to avoid them at all costs. So true peace doesn't come just because we aren't around people. But true peace can come when there is reconciliation and restoration with those people. So that's what true peace looks like. Romans 12, 18 says this. It says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And so as peacemakers, our orientation has to be this. How can I, as far as it depends on me, be at peace with all people? And it's nuanced, and it's ugly, and it's challenging, and we can't control what the other person does as much as it depends on us. But this is what we're called to be as peacemakers. So there's this outer turmoil in our lives. But usually outer turmoil is the result of inner turmoil, isn't it? We ask those questions. Will I feel at peace if I can? If I can get healthy? If I can find financial stability? If I can find the one that will complete me? If I can overcome my addiction? You know, many people at work um, and have walked through the process of being freed from their addictions know the truth is that to overcome your addiction it takes a, you have to have a, a greater desire for the thing that you have the addiction to. And so it's not just, I'm not going to do something, but it's, what else am I going to do? What is going to fill that place in my life? And so this inner turmoil that lives within so many of us, how do we overcome that and find peace? And so as Christians, we know that the answer to true peace, both as it relates to turmoil and the restoration of relationship is found in Jesus. That this outer turmoil and this inner turmoil, Jesus speaks to both of those things. First, 
Jesus deals with our inner turmoil by cutting off the power of sin that brings death. He, on that day, as he climbed the mountain to the cross, and he hung there, he he took on our sins, even though he had committed no sins. And he said, it is finished. And because of that, we get his righteousness. When God looks at us, he sees Jesus. The power of sin in our lives is cut off. But what a lonely place to be if that's all that Jesus did. If all he did was say, hey, I'm going to take your sin, have a good life. No, Jesus does more than that. Jesus doesn't just sweep the anxiety and the fear out of our lives. He then fills us with something, with his love. And because of that, we have a restored relationship with God. And so the fruit of this is we get a peace that we aren't supposed to keep to ourselves. We get a gift that we're also to give to others. And so now by the holy power of the Holy Spirit, we are empowered from within to work toward the issues of outer turmoil, both in our lives and in the world around us. Listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 speaking about this. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says this, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, who? Who? Anyone. Anyone. If anyone is in Christ, that's you who think that you've sinned too much. That's you that think you're you're too far gone. That's you who just sinned before you walked in the doors of church today. Anyone. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and then gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. That's good news. And he has again committed to us the message of reconciliation. Do you hear what what Paul's doing here? He's saying, this is what God's done. and, And now he wants you to be a part of it. Wow. He continues, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us, the church. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. If you don't know this passage, I would say memorize this passage. Like mark it down. This is This is such a holistic view of what it means to be a Christian. Far too often, the world and I think people in the church think that being a Christian is just for you. My personal decision, my Savior, my church, my, my, my. (laughs) But here, Paul is going, this is what God's done for you. This is who you are now. Now, tell others about that. Not only that, but it is God working in you that allows the world to see this and to know this. So no, let's clarify here. The opposite of war isn't peace. It's reconciliation. 
and its righteousness that lead to peace. One of my favorite stories from World War I was called The Christmas Truce of 1914. It is depicted in a movie called Joyeux Noël, which is a French, French phrase. And in, the, in Christmas of 1914, the World War I was primarily trench warfare. So on one side, you had the Germans dug in in a, in a pit, a long pit, and you had the British dug in. And they were just essentially waiting for somebody to try and make a dash, and then they would shoot them down for months and months and years and years. Christmas Eve, 1914, a soldier starts to sing a Christmas carol from one side of the the line. And a, a soldier from the other side hears it and recognizes it, even though it's not in his language, begins to sing it back. And then one of the soldiers says, hey, why don't you come over here? Another soldier goes, why don't you come over here? (laughs) And so they decide to meet in the middle. Christmas truce of 1914. What happens next is all the soldiers come out. They begin to share food and drink and other things. In some places along the, the front line, a soccer match breaks out. This is an actual picture, 1914. In this moment, there is the absence of war. It looks like peace. The problem was, is after that moment, some days later, the war would resume. Those soldiers would eventually fight and kill each other. So that you can't just end something or remove something to have peace. You have to recreate and restore. And this is what Jesus has called us as his people to do on his behalf as peacemakers. The key to peace is reconciliation and a restoration of righteousness. So family, work, friends. Like you, I've had conflict and turmoil with people in my life. What has allowed me to work through that conflict and not just help me to preserve relationships, but often deepen them, it is is a desire to pursue the peace that comes through Jesus. Sadly, this isn't what we see much in our current day. Where the peace movement of the 60s brought awareness, it didn't bring fulfillment. And now the generations, just as the generation of the 60s was raised on war, the, genera- the current generations are raised on cynicism and apathy. Peace isn't possible, and why would I even waste my time trying to pursue it? Which is why you don't hear about peace anymore. You don't hear it from our politicians because they don't work together, they war against each other. You don't hear it from many of our leaders and our people, even our celebrities and culture that once called for peace, rarely do so anymore. So this is an opportunity for us as the church. It's an opportunity to represent the idea of peace, the concept of peace, in a way that actually transforms people's lives. And so as a child of God, it's important that you know you are a peacemaker. 
You've been made righteous by the Prince of Peace, and he has given you and me the ministry of reconciliation. So the opposite of war and turmoil, whether it's in here or out there somewhere, is the reconciliation that Jesus offers. When we have received his work of righteousness, we then get to walk out and participate in that. And when we do, we will see war end and turmoil cease and restoration happen and peace reign. So to be a peacemaker as a follower of Jesus in this day means that we are to call, called to live out that righteousness in the world. And I want to tell you one of the most powerful ways we do that is through gift giving. Now, if you went to your Christmas tree, that's not what I'm talking about. <laughs> Although it could be. Out of the blessings that God has given each of us, we have gifts to give that promote righteousness in the world, that result in peace. You know, our kind of driving mission statement as a church is to love God, to love people, and to love our city. And many of you are doing that. Last week when we had lunch together, we got to share just a, a smidge of the ways that we have walked that out together. But many more, many, many more stories of that. Even today, uh, this morning, many of you are delivering presents that were going to be distributed to families in our neighborhood that are in need. That's a tangible gift. I mean, that's the classic definition of, of giving a gift, right? That promotes something of peace in a family's life. But it's more than just that, isn't it? We have gifts that God has given us. We have things that we've learned. We have, we have time. We have talent. And we have treasures that we can use to bring peace on earth, to help restore righteousness and to bring people to Jesus. And so when Christians give of that, give of their time, their talent, and their treasure, we display an outward sign of an inward reality promoting peace, demonstrating righteousness and reconciliation that comes through Jesus. And so as we leave this morning, it's my prayer that through this Christmas season, as we've been focusing on peace, that it might be like a reorientation of your life. That the, the person you thought you were at war with, you would go, wait a second, <laughs> this is an opportunity to demonstrate reconciliation that Jesus has called me to and that he's offered me. That as you see those people that are in need in your, in your life, you might be able to, to give them something that they need as a peacemaker. Would we see ourselves in that way as a church full of peacemakers? That's a question. And I hope the answer is yes. And I want you to know that you can do it. This is not something you do alone, but this is something that you are empowered to do by the power of the Holy Spirit. So church, would you stand with me this morning and let's pray that we be a people that orient ourselves to being peacemakers. Lord, first of all, we say to you this morning, we say thank you. Thank you that we get to live after your arrival. <laughs> We get, to, we get to know what it means to be reunited with you. Thank you, Jesus, for coming. 
Thank you for showing us your love, for making it possible to know God and to be in right relationship with him. Thank you for the righteousness that you give us so that when God looks at us and we say, are we good, God? God says, very good. And Lord, we also acknowledge that while we have received that, the world is still broken. That we still wrestle with sin. That we still await for you to come to fully restore everything. But Lord, as we've read today, we are not to wait passively or apathetically. We're to wait expectantly. And so Lord, would you orient or reorient our hearts toward the mission to be reconcilers. Lord, there is brokenness in our city. We feel it. There's brokenness in our nation. We see it. There's brokenness in our own lives, Lord God, that we still wrestle with. Would you help us to walk toward each other in restoration? Would you give us a passion to use the time, the treasure, and the talents we have to be ambassadors of your righteousness in this city, in the neighborhoods that we live? And thank you that we're not alone in this, Father. In this room, there is a a group of people that have said yes to you. And so, Holy Spirit, would you empower us to your mission? And would you move from our head to our heart the knowledge of your love? In Jesus' name we pray. You've been listening to sermon audio from Sunset Community Church. Sunset Community Church is located in Renton, Washington. For more information, visit our website at sunsetcommunity.church.